0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by Seventh Element, and I am your host, Kyle. With me as always is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey guys. And joining us tonight for a very special but sudden appearance is Michael Gallagher of the National Post. How you doing, Michael?
1: Doing great. Got some some great stuff to talk about
0: <laughs> I know. It kind of like got everybody out of the blue. I was telling the guys before we started here that all the notes I have for tonight, basically, I just left outside in the car because, if you haven't heard the news by now, the Predators have fired Peter LaViette. I am actually very surprised that has happened because Poyle's not one to fire his coach midseason.
2: Yeah, it, it's 7.09 right now, and at 5.33, I text the group, and that had just broken. So, literally, this whole episode is now dedicated to a special firing lobby edition and uh, everything is thrown out the window. So um, yeah, I'm a little shocked that it happened right now, mid-season, after last week. The comments from David Poyle, especially, um, saying he was kind of you know like on the fan. You know, we have some soul searching to do, but I don't want to make a move yet. Well, man, it's it's pretty crazy how quick you know things change in this league. So uh, Lobby's out and McCarthy, I might add which Which praises yeah that that's whatever the ghost of uh power plays past is now behind us and uh i I mean they were a tandem so you knew that that was coming if lobby got fired so uh very interesting it has been a crazy night seeing the reactions on twitter for sure anything to add matt no
3: yeah i can't wait to get into it this is something we've kind of seen uh, the riding on the wall coming, and uh, it's finally here. So uh, can't wait to delve into this one and talk about it. So that being
0: said, Michael, you've heard our opinions. What is your take on this?
3: Hey, where do I begin <laughs>
0: with
1: it? I think, okay, first of all, good on David Boyle. He, he's he been taking hits left and right on Twitter, which, uh, granted, David Poyle probably doesn't care what people on Twitter say about him. But, I mean, he's been taking heat from Preds fans for the better part of a month now that, oh, David Boyle doesn't care. He's not going to fire lett during the season. He's going to let this drag out, and if they miss the playoffs, so be it, because because it was all loyal Boyle. He never fires a coach in the middle of the season because that's just not the way he does things. And I think the fact that Laviolette and McCarthy were let go right now, 41 games into the season, shows that David Boyle wasn't going to settle for mediocrity because David Boyle is the winningest GM in NHL history. He's he He is the opposite of mediocrity. And the way this came about, I mean, the thing is, no one knows exactly how it came about. And there's a couple things running through my mind. I think the first thing is, he went on the midday 180 four or five days ago and said, "Um, I'm not planning on making any coaching changes at this time. And then four or five days later, he fires his head coach and an assistant coach. So if, if we were to take David Boyle at his word during that time, obviously something happened between now and then. To, to spark that, okay, I need to let him go. Maybe Anaheim was the last straw. I wrote in my story on the Post this morning that the Ducks were the last place team in the Western Conference, and they're they're the kind of team that the Predators should be bearing by multiple goals, not coming back for multiple goals to try and beat them. Maybe Anaheim was the last straw. Um, there's also the possibility that Poyle had in his mind you know, to, to let go of Lobby left before the Winter Classic, and he was just waiting for all the stuff for the Winter Classic to happen and be over with. And he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna fire him directly after that because they had some road games. He was gonna wait until the team was on their way home because David Poyles, you know, he's not a jerk. He's not gonna fire a coach on the road and you know pull a Gerard Gallant and leave him on the on the tarmac type, type of thing. So that could have been a possibility. Or there's also a possibility that he could have went to to Laviolette and said, "Hey, Kevin McCarthy needs to go. I I, I need you to, to fire him." And Peter Laviolette could have said, "Hey, let me think about it." Or he could have said, "Absolutely not. That's my guy." And then his refusal to let him go. Boyle could have said, "Like, okay, there's a door for both of you." I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways this could have came about, but I think, you know, they're they're nineteen fifteen, I think nineteen fifteen and seven. They're sixth place in the division. They're only what one point ahead of the Blackhawks. Something had to be done, and I think this was a good move for David
3: Boyle. I think it's just interesting. Perhaps time will tell. They might hold a press conference or whatnot tomorrow when they announce who the coach is going to be. But like you said, it's it's a signal. It's mixed messages from what he said. You know, not even a week ago, and then today have totally the opposite. I am curious as to in, the inner workings of that as to what was the straw that broke the camel's back because he didn't even seem to give uh, any on that respect and now it's totally different. I, th- I think we're going to find that answer. It just has to have a little bit of time. It's still fresh off the press right now.
0: I think one thing that makes me curious is that I know that several of the media people throughout the early part of the season and towards the middle was pressing Lavi if he was worried about his job or not. And Michael, do you think at any point was Slavia actually worried about his job?
1: Well, I think absolutely he was. I mean, look, a coach is never going to come out and directly say, hey, yeah, you know, David and I talked this morning. He said, if I don't win some games, I'm in trouble. They're never going to openly admit stuff like that to the media because then it's just going to become a, a bigger circus and it's going to become a distraction. And the same thing with, with Poyle. I mean, if they're asking him if he's, if he's, thinking about coaching moves, he's not going to tell the media. But like, yeah, you know, what? actually, you know, I've, I've had a, a checklist and Peter hasn't been checking those off or, you know, we're just not where we're at. So I'm, I'm looking at some guys. Like, they're never going to openly come out and admit that. Um, another possibility is, too, if, if we are to take David Foyle at his word and we are to, to read into this a little bit, when he was asked on 104.5, when they said, are you, what's the status for Peter what David Foyle specifically said, I'm not looking at making any coaching changes at this time. That may be true. Peter Laviolette, uh, you know, David Poyle might have decided to, to let go of Peter Laviolette, you know, weeks ago, and it, and he could be telling the truth. He wasn't making any decisions on the coaching changes at the time because he may have already made those decisions. Cutler, Klein, and our group text pointed that out to us. And I mean, David Poyle is a very calculated individual. You don't get to be the winningest GM in NHL history by by being stupid. He he may have already he may already have the next coach of the Predators already decided, and he just hasn't pulled us. So it's it's kind of To go back to your question, even if if LaViolette was feeling any pressure or David Boyle was thinking about a coaching change, the last people they're going to tell is the media. So, I mean, I don't read too much into that stuff. It does seem a bit precarious that they're, hey, we're not thinking about doing this, and a couple days later they do the opposite. But honestly, with sports, I've come to expect the
2: unexpected. It was interesting. When they broke this, I was actually watching NHL Live at the time, and Milbury went on this long rant about how he thought, A lot of the centers are, quite frankly, underperforming for the Preds or just slouches, and they're not giving them effort. So that being said, how much do you think this is on the team itself, or i.e. the players, or is it Lavi's system, which I know has gotten tons of flack over the last one to two months? So uh, I really don't know because you can't make the argument that you know, you're you have a couple players out right now. I know deshane has been out, you know, a couple games with Illness and Fabro's been out and you know, the most recent one, Ellis, you have Sissons on the IR. So what is it that contributes or is it a combination of all these factors?
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a combination of things. It's not just one thing. The coaching's been bad, the defense has been bad, the goaltending has been bad. For the first time ever in the in the history of this franchise, the offense is not the problem, and the defense and goaltending is. I mean, you look at Pecorine, it has an 896 save percentage, UCSR has an 892. I don't think this team has ever had two goaltenders with with below 90 save percentages. And you look at the defense. It's hard to replace an all-star PK Subban's caliber, and Dante Fabro has shown flashes and he's played really well at times. But at other times, he's looked like a rookie. And I think people forget that this is a 21-year-old kid who was thrown onto the second defensive pairing. And yes, he's playing with Matthias Ekholm, who's who's really good for being his line mate and, and helping him develop. But he's also 21. He was playing college hockey last year, and he's he's no PK Subban. That's 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 the way you look at it. And you look at the third pairing. Dan Hamus and Matt Irwin and, and Yannick Weber are just terrible and everyone knows knows how I feel about Yannick Weber, but honestly I think Matt Irwin might be a worse defenseman than he is and the fact that the Preds are employing both of those guys is almost comical at this point. I think calling up Jared Snorty and Alex Carrier is a good idea. Maybe throw them in there. They they were really good as a defensive pair in Milwaukee. Maybe they'll pick a spark or something or maybe you call up uh, Davies and see how he does, but the third pairing defense is, is a Achilles heel for this team, and then the goaltending. There's just no, there's really no rhyme or reason as to why the goaltending is bad. Ben Vanderclock has traditionally been a really good goaltending coach. Rene hasn't really struggled. You know, you can attribute that to him being 37, but there's there's no reason why UCF should be struggling as much as he is. He, he's looked at it as the future of this team, and and he's he's having a very underwhelming season. So it's it's a lot of the on the ice stuff, but I do think the coaching. Is just as much to blame for it. Peter Laviolette's a coach where his message runs stale after a few years. He, there's a reason why this guy never lasts more than you know four, five, six years with a team. This is the middle of his sixth season in Nashville, and he's gotten released. So it's he kind of saw it coming because he, for whatever reason, he's really good those first three, four years. But you get to year five, and if he gets to year six, that's when the trouble starts. And that's just kind of how Peter Laviolette is.
0: So one thing that you mentioned a second ago was on the defensive end of our system. So with the current injuries we have, last night we saw Yosin Weber, and then we saw uh, Ham Hughes and Irwin, and then if I'm not mistaken, on the second pair, it was Ekholm and Tenorti. Is that kind of just treading water until we get our guys back?
1: I mean, I don't really put too much stock into that. Jared Tenorti hasn't really had a lot of NHL experience This is his first Game or two with the Predators, it's it's going to be an adjustment. It's like, I mean, you look at when when teams make trades at the trade deadline and you bring someone in, and five games in, they're they're not producing. Well, you got to give them time to gel with their teammates. You got to give them time to. The way defensive uh, players work is, you watch Ellis and Yossi. They've been playing together for years. They feed off each other. They know where the other person's going to be. There's a reason why they're two of the top leading scorers on the team is because they play well with each other. And the same with. Ellis and Eckholm played together as a defensive pairing. Um, I don't read too much into that. If we're 10, 15 games into this, if Jarrett is still having games like last night, then yeah, I would, I would send him back to Milwaukee because he's, he's not the answer. But I would give him at least another three or four games to, to try him out. He's, he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's a big body defenseman. Um, but honestly, that's what the Predators have been missing, is big bodies. They've been missing that physicality. They haven't really had that on defense, particularly since Shea Weber got traded. P.K. Subban was great, but he wasn't really a physical defenseman. He was more of an offensive defenseman. Um, look at Alex Carrier. He was someone that was you know, a top prospect for this organization three years ago, and now he's putting up a really good season in the AHL. And now if he's going to make it and stick with his team, this is going to be the year. I say you give him a couple more games, try him out, see how it goes. But that that third pairing of, of Dan ham Houston, take your pick of Irwin or Weber is not going to cut it. And Hamus is—I mean—he's old; he's on the decline as well. I think, under um, David Foyle, you now that you've made the necessary moves with the coaching staff, you have to address the on-ice issues, and that starts with a, with the a third pairing on defense. And I think you got to go out and you got to you got to look for the trade market. I mean, it might cost a little bit more because he's still—I think he's twenty-six or twenty-seven. But I look at someone like Shane Goss fair with the, the Philadelphia Flyers; he's kind of fallen out of favor there because he's struggling a little bit. But he's still a good second third pairing defenseman on, on another team that's not the Flyers you maybe look at him um, I know the Capitals cut Madison Bowie I would I look at him I mean I know I don't, I'm i not I'm going with retreat that other people that other teams cut or whatever but he, he's got to be at least a little bit of an upgrade over Irwin or Weber so I mean there's options out there and then Buffalo they just traded Marco Candela, but they still have a bunch of NHL caliber defense and if maybe you look at Brandon Montour. or you look at Colin Miller you know their Buffalo needs Top six forwards, Kyle Terrace has had a rocky year this year. Maybe you do a one-for-one Montour for Terrace or something like that. I mean, there's options out there. David Boyle, I think, the next logical step in this is, is addressing that defense. The goal setting, I think, will eventually sort itself out. But the defense, you're not, you're not going to make any noise in the playoffs with the sixth defenseman you have now.
3: Well, that's interesting because... Last week, you know, David Poyle basically said, if we don't improve soon, we might be a seller for the first time in a number of years. So the question is, we get rid of LaViolette and you got a new coach coming in. Realistically, how much can he improve in the short time span that he has? And do you think that the Preds will indeed be sellers because currently they're on the outside of the playoffs looking in? Or do you think with the new change in coach coming in that they might try to gas? Uh, the engine up a little bit more and try to get another player or two and make that last minute push like the Blues did last year to up their position and for the Predators to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question. I guess it all depends on who they bring in, who the next head coach is going to be. If he runs a similar system to Laviolette, where it's up tempo, fast pace, emphasis on offense, then obviously you're probably not going to make a lot of a lot of changes with the personnel because you have the team, you have the offensive skill set. If you bring in a coach that's more defensive-minded and likes to run things like maybe say Barry Trotz did, um, you might look at the, the Predators maybe potentially trading a Granlin or a Craig Smith or a Kyle Paris or maybe even a Nick Nino trade a little bit of that depth that you have on offense without crippling the team, and maybe you try to bring in a, another defenseman or two. It's it's kind of it just, it really just depends on who the next coach is going to be. I think that if you look at it, David Poyle likes defense and goaltending. He tried it out with LaBoulette, who was an offensive coach, and kind of went against the grain of everything David Foyle stands for. And it worked, and it was good, and they had results. They had their their Cup chance. They missed it. David Foyle might go back to that familiarity. He might go back to what what he feels comfortable with, his comfort zone, of defense, and goaltending. So, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he brought in a defensive-minded head coach, maybe made a trade or two to show up back into the defense, and kind of went from there. You look at what the Blues did last year. I mean, they made a head coaching change. They short up, you know, their roster. They kind of changed the culture. They made it to the playoffs and won the Stanley Cup. That's a, the first time that's ever been done. So I don't want to use that as the standard. That's more of the exception than the rule. But the precedent has been set. I, I think the Predators, with the right head coach, you get everyone healthy and you bring in another defenseman. I think this team could make a run at the playoffs. It's going to be hard. They're in sixth place. They're only, I think, what, six or seven points back at the Stars for third place. And honestly, this team thrives when they're, when they're in the underdog role, because when they made the, the Cup Final run, they were the last seed to get in, and no one gave them a chance against the Blackhawks. And they swept them, and then they started beating everyone they weren't supposed to, and next thing you know, they're in the Stanley Cup Final. I think I think the sweet spot for this team is second or third place in the division, or maybe even give them a wild card. I think they'll do good from there. You look at when they won back-to-back Central Division titles, and they were the Stanley Cup favorites. They had all that pressure, and they just couldn't get past they the first and second round. I don't think that they play well with high expectations. I think they thrive on us against the world mentality. So
2: it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season shakes out, depending on who the next coach is. Yeah, currently, Michael, they're only four points outside of that wild card spot behind Calgary. And to your point, it's been actually kind of interesting noting that Tennessee sports this year kind of started off really rocky. If you go look around the you know the whole scene here, the Titans start off pretty bad. You know. They actually make the playoffs and win a playoff game. The ball started off arguably even worse in my opinion and turned that around and actually end up winning a bowl game. Predators are to the same thing. So let's allude to it now. The coaching change was made so who are the prime candidates? If you're looking at the whole league right now, who are you calling right now if you're David Boyle? Because I mean you know, I've heard Babcock's available but you know might not want to go down that route.
1: It's this is the this is the slippery slope of firing a coach midseason. There's you give yourself more time and you can actually make a more informed decision if you do it in the off season because there's not a rush to to make a decision to hire someone. That being said, in my personal opinion, this might be a little somewhat controversial. I would go with Carl Taylor. He's the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. Right now they're twenty six they're twenty four six four and two they're in first place in the in the central division in the AHL. Not only are they in first place, they are ten points ahead of the second place team. They are dominating. They won what was it thirteen or fourteen in a row at one point this year. And you look at the roster. The, the Admirals roster isn't very strong outside of Rem Pitlick, Kelly Tolvanen, maybe Frederick Alard if, if you count him, and, and maybe Connor Ingram. Throw him in there. That's not really a team that's heavy with. Prospect. so Carl Taylor and the Admirals are having this great season with I don't want to say a mediocre roster but with a roster that doesn't really have a lot of stars everyone has their role and they play their part and I think that shows you just how valuable a good coach is Carl Taylor in my opinion is a great coach doing his job in the AHL and you look at that and there the Admirals are one of the favorites for the Calder Cup this year no one really anticipated that but that shows you the importance of having a good coach in place I would give him the first shot my my opinion on this stuff is, like I, like I tweeted out a couple minutes ago, if you fire your head coach midseason, it can't be a lateral move. Peter DeBoer, John Hines have been thrown out by Elliot Freeman and a couple other you know, people in the national media. Out of those two, I would probably go with DeBoer just because he's had more success. I mean, if you look at it, his, his career records 198, 129, and 34. He's, he's, played in, he's coached in two Stanley Cup finals. I would give him the edge out of everyone that's out there. I mean, you look at John Hyde. He got fired by the New Jersey Devils for going 9-13-4. I don't think you can... Both of those guys, I don't think, in my opinion, are, are better than Peter Lovulet currently is. So I, if you fire someone midseason, I don't think you can hire someone who's more mediocre than the coach you're replacing. Out of, out of those two, I would go with DeVore. I don't think you touch Mike Babcock just because he's, he's cancer. You, you can't bring him into the locker room. and bad as Peter Lovulet was perceived, Mike Babcock would be worse. I mean, if, if you're coaching the Maple Leafs and you can't win with a team with, with Nylander and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, like, if you can't win with that team, I don't think you're going to come in with the National Predators and win anything either. Another name I've seen out there, um, Dan Bildma, I think. Uh, there's a couple other guys, but honestly, if, I, if I'm guessing, I'm, I'm probably going to say is probably the front runner. Maybe Carl Taylor could be a dark horse. I don't see John Hines coming in. I don't, I don't see how you can... With a straight face, to look your fan base in the eye and say, We're going to hire a guy that went 9 13 and 4 with the Devils and got fired for being ineffective, an and we're going to hire him and make him our next head coach. So, I mean, DeBoer probably the front runner, but it also wouldn't surprise me if David Foyle got someone out of the woodwork, came out of nowhere. Like I said, he's a very calculated person, so I don't think he made this decision to fire Peter Lobulette without having someone in mind to replace him.
2: Michael, I'm seeing Housley on Twitter. They're trending. What do you think? But- <laughs> My boy, man.
1: I, I honestly, I would, I would love Phil Housley as the Predators' head coach. He's obviously, if you listen to you know the "It's All Your Fault" podcast we do with the post in the scene uh, for a couple weeks, I was on there advocating that if the Predators did do this move. Phil Housley would be a good, a good replacement. Although he is under contract in Arizona, um, but I mean, I would, I, Phil Housley would make a lot of sense to me. You saw how good he was when he was the associate head coach here power play didn't suck like it did under McCarthy. The, the penalty kill didn't suck like it did under McCarthy and Muse. Like the Predators were a solid team and there's a reason why he was highly thought after with, with Buffalo. And the only reason he was fired in Buffalo is because him and Jack Eichel didn't get along. And if you're if you're gonna pick between your young superstar first round draft pick or your head coach, you're probably gonna go with your with your superstar over the head coach nine times out of ten. So it was politics that got him fired. But you look at Buffalo now, they're a playoff team this year with a roster he built. So, I mean, if Phil Housley somehow, some way, did become the next head coach of the National Predators, I think that would be a great
2: move. Yeah, I actually was talking about earlier. Uh, we were looking at Twitter, and they're saying a press conference is going to be held at eleven forty-five tomorrow. Is that correct? That is okay. So uh, at this at this time, um, as we would say, the coach is a game time decision. So, do you anticipate a coach being named as you know, the future Nashville Predators head coach or more like an interim position? Because right now, currently, it's just the Dan's. It's Dan and Dan. and uh, I mean, w- would it be more logical just to hand the torch off to them just for a few games until we can get a more permanent replacement in? I
1: think the fact that they're holding a press conference, I mean, you're not going to hold a press conference to announce you're going to go with an interim coach. If they went with an interim coach, it would have been in the press release they sent us. Um, so the fact that they're, holding a press conference they've told the media to show up at this time of where it's going to be i think they they have the the replacement i think they're going to name him tomorrow um i i like it's kind of like you know no no college draft pick ever holds you know a press conference to say hey I'm, I'm returning to school they usually send out a tweet for that so the fact that there is a press conference i think shows that they have a replacement We're probably going to meet him tomorrow whoever he may be
3: yeah from what i'm seeing on twitter also <clears throat> jeremy gover also agrees with Poyle that uh, the sentiment that Poyle wasn't lying when he said he wasn't thinking about making a coaching change. He says that that was a calculated language, which Poyle is very good at. So it's leaning towards uh, everybody's thinking he already has one picked out possibly, and that was just him choosing his words carefully and not necessarily being misleading or lying about it, but that he he might in fact already have one named.
1: Oh, 100%. David Poyle's a very smart guy, He's very calculated with the way he operates his team the way he he talks to the media so I think he said that knowing full well the media was gonna take it and kind of run with it so to speak but I think at that time he either a knew he was already gonna fire Lavulette or B he already knew who he was gonna who he was gonna to hire to replace Lavulette should that happen down the road so David Po he's a very smart man I think he he knows how to work the media over it, and I think this is another example of it.
0: Well, I want to take the uh, conversation uh, on the sidetrack real quick and uh, talk about our special teams. We all know that Dan Lambert was hired in for the Preds earlier this season to take over the power play and the penalty kill. And for the first month, it looked like it was actually going great. Special teams was rocking. And then we saw this just huge tank. And as of tonight, on Monday night, our power play is 24th in the league at 16.8% and our penalty kill is 29th at 74%. With Peter Laviolette being gone, will Dan Lambert have the, I guess, freedom now to run the power play and the penalty kill more like he wants to? Because it seemed like that he was allowed to do it for a point, And then seeing the drop back down almost thinks it looks like it was taken away from him. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, part of it is too, Dan Lambert came in, instituted a duty system, it was more pass-oriented, more precision passing. It was more of the Predators last year when they had their god awful power play. They would play tic tac toe and try to set up a perfect pass, and they, they would if they got one or two shots off on a power play, they were lucky. Most of the time, they would they would end up with one because they spent too much time trying to set up the perfect the perfect uh, shot. This year, when Lam, when Lambert came in, he emphasized crisp passing, precision shooting. Uh, you know, guys crashing the net. Arvidsson traditionally would go to the net and he would do his screen and his hop stuff. They took him away from that. They tried to get him, you know, firing more shots and stuff. They didn't have uh, Brian Boyle standing in front of the net to to screen the goalie, so they had to get more creative. And I think the reason why it worked so well in the first month of the season was because it was new. There wasn't a lot of film on it. No one really knew how to defend it because they weren't they were going with something that they'd never really done before once they started getting tape on how the Predators like to set up their stuff you know kind of where they would like to put people who they who would be in the slot and they had the teams finally had some film on how to defend it I think you saw the drop off which is why I think in the first month of the season the power play for the Preds was ranked like 15th and now it's dropped off to 24th um that being said they are 24th on the power play they were 31st last year so I think I think it was like what ten point one or ten point nine percent or maybe maybe like right around eleven. I'm not sure. It was really really bad. So going from thirty first to twenty fourth, I still think that's progress. Obviously, there's there's room to improve. There's room to get better. But I think part of the pe- the problem with the power play is there's still this way of thinking where they're like, well, we have Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson and Roman Yossi and all these all these great players we don't really need to scheme. We can just put them out there and eventually one of them will score. I still think there's a reliance on that where if the play breaks down or it doesn't happen the way they draw it up, they just kind of go back to that. And I think they need to get out of that mindset. Now that, you know, Peter, the you don't really know how the coaching duties are going to be split up. You would assume Lambert would still work with the power play and you would assume Muse would take over the penalty kill. You really don't know. It kind of depends on, again, like I said, depends on who the head coach they bring in. If they bring in a defensive-minded head coach, he might take over the penalty kill to try to get it back to where it is, and he might let Lambert and Muse kind of take over the power play. If it's an offensive minded coach, he might take over the power play and tell Muse and, and Lambert to, to take over the penalty kill. It might be a collaboration of all three working on both. I mean, never really know until the next head coach's name, but special teams is definitely an area the Predators need to work on because we're used to seeing them in the top, you know, 5'10 in the penalty kill around, you know, 15, 16, middle of the field when it comes to power play. And they're they're not there on either of them, and it's kind of this is a very unpredator like season as far as you know stats and, and
2: results have been. Yeah, looking at the penalty kill, even from last night's game, they were getting absolutely hosed by the Ducks, which is not a good sign, <laughs> and definitely was one of the final straws in Lavi's tenure here. So, going back to kind of like the roster decisions that we were talking about earlier, if you could pick one player right now to trade, or put on trade watch, who is it going to be?
1: If if I'm, if i got to pick just one, honestly, and I I hate saying this because I feel like he's, rarely ever do I change my mind on a player, but he's really changed my mind on him, and that would be Kyle Terrace. I feel like he's shown enough that he can still be a productive second-line center on pretty much any other team in the league that's not Nashville. I think the fact that he's Still, kind of young enough to where he can bring back a decent return. Uh, I mean, I, I like the example that they had earlier with uh, the Buffalo Sabres. You look at Montour; I think he's twenty-seven. Miller's twenty-seven, twenty-eight. They, the the Sabres have six or seven NHL-caliber defensemen. Those are probably going to one of those two. They're probably going to look to trade and bring back a top-six forward. Kyle Turris fits that bill. He he probably will bring you back the most, um, in, in a trade return. You look at Nick Bonino, he could be another option. He's the team's leading goal scorer, but this season is more of an anomaly than it is anything else. Nick is not going to go out and score you 20 to 30 goals like he's on pace for this season. He's, he's a beneficiary of being on a better line than he probably has been in, in his national tenure. Um, I just don't know if he's going to bring you back that much just because he's older. Um, I don't think Craig Smith gets traded just because he's been with his team forever. You know what you're getting with Craig Smith. You know you you can pencil him in for 20 goals. Um, other than that, I, I don't see any of the defensemen getting traded. I don't really see any of the other forwards getting traded either. I mean, maybe if you get desperate enough, you could trade one or two of them in a prospect, and then like and a as part of a major trade. But honestly, I think Kyle Turris is probably the most likely to get traded if that happens.
2: So, out of all the players that uh, have been on the ice here, you know one really sticks out, and that has to be Yossi. I mean, he's honestly been carrying this team. And if it wasn't for him over the past month or two, I I think the Preds actually are in a way worse position than we we are. And Lavi probably even gets fired even before this. Because during that win streak, he was smoking hot, and he's still continuing to be very consistent. What do you think Yossi's chances are at the Norris this year?
1: I would say they're probably the best they've ever been this year. The only the only problem for Roman Yossi is the fact that John Carlson is just like a tad bit better this year. He's like a half a step ahead, which you feel for Yossi because he's always he's always been a Norris Trophy contender every single year since he took over for, for Ryan Suter. But, I mean, you look at Carlson, Yossi actually has more goals than Carlson. He's got 14, Carlson's got 13, but Carlson's got more assists. And I think you, they're good. I hate how the Norris has become more of a, a numbers game for defensemen where Eric Eric Carlson kind of set that up when he was you know, pulling off 60, 70 assists and whatever, and it's kind of, you know, whichever defenseman has the most points, that's kind of how the Norris trophy voting has gone. If it's purely on numbers, I probably would favor Carlson just because he does have 52 points. But if you look at Yossi, Yossi's second in scoring among the defensemen, 44 points, 14 goals, 30 assists, he's a plus-19 the only other player in the top fourteen or fifteen, uh, yeah, looking at the top fifteen that have a similar plus minus is Carlson got plus sixteen. Dougie Hamilton leads all defensemen with plus twenty seven, and then other than that, everyone else is you know average or negative. And Ryan Ellis at fourteenth in scoring, he's a plus fifteen. So usually Yost, uh, he's kind of you know he kind of gets screwed a little bit because he plays with some really good teammates and P.K. Stuban when he was here took away from some of the attention he got, but Roman Yossi is having his breakout here. If if people didn't believe in Roman Yossi as a top three or four elite defenseman before the season, they definitely do now. Um, The only thing is, John Carlson's having a little bit better season. He does play for the Washington Capitals. He is more known nationally than Yossi, so if it shakes out, if everything shakes out the way it's going, I would say Carlson probably wins it by a hair, but I mean, if if Yossi keeps going, he's on a ten a game point streak. He just passed Shea Weber for the most uh, most games, most consecutive games with a point. So if he keeps it up and his point streak reaches fifteen or eighteen games, and he passes Carlson, I, I I absolutely think this is Roman Yossi's award to to lose.
2: Yeah, I will now take this as note. Carlson seemed to get a majority of those points within the first two two and a half months. I, I mean, he came out on fire. Um, I, I think it was like, he was actually setting like league records at that point and he is drastically cooled off. So I think if it wasn't for that hot start, it would be a much closer race. And if, if not for that start, I think Yossi would honestly be in front of him right now. So I'm interested to see in about two months from now where the averages come in. So, uh, I, I think it's going to be a real tight race in the end, but both of them are having extremely strong years. Yeah. I think Carl had,
1: 30, 35 points in like the first month, month and a half. It was crazy that for for any player to be on pace for that, let alone a defenseman, he's kind of tailored off and he's cooled off a little bit. Um, if he continues to trend down and Roman Yossi continues to trend up and Yossi passes him in the points, I, I, I think people could be looking at Yossi as the front runner for the award, rightfully so. This guy is, unless you watch him as much as we do, and I've covered Yossi for the last five, six years and I've got to see him play a lot of hockey. I don't think there's very many other that I've watched play where I've been like they're better than Roman Yosi. Shea Weber, back you know when he wasn't as old as he is now, I would I would say that about um, maybe Dougie Hamilton a little bit, um, but other than that, I mean Eric Carlson obviously. But other than that, Roman Iossi is consistently always in the Norris Trophy discussion every year, and I, I think this might be the year when he finally breaks through that kind of glass ceiling that's been placed on him and gets the national attention he deserves. I mean, it took. Pekarene forever to win his Vezina trophy, and when he finally did, it was like a weight was lifted off his shoulders, and he he finally earned you know that national recognition as the best goaltender in the league.
0: I think this could be a similar season for Romaniosi with defenseman. All right, so Michael, the one of the final things we want to talk about with you here is the goaltending. So it's it's rough for a lot of people to see where Pecarine and UC Saros has been this season. I know earlier you said that not a lot of the Goals, uh goals are really on them. It's both with them and the defense as a, as a whole. But um December just was not a good month for them. On their statistics on five V five, they each played uh Pecorino played eight games, Saros played six, and the save percentages were Rene had a nine ten and Saros had a nine fifteen overall. And for the season's total, Rene's at a point eight nine six and Saros is a point eight nine two. Do you think that that is going to rebound to the point that we see Renee playing more games than Saros because the first part of December, we started seeing Saros play more games because it was looking at the point that Saros was going to be taking over full time. I know I've advocated for Saros playing more of a 60-40 split with Renee almost to a 50-50 just to get him into that comfortable spot where he is going to be the number one goaltender one day. But with everything that's happened today and as we go forward in the second half of the season, do you expect the goaltending to just balance itself out?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it in the middle of the season when they were giving stars more starts than Rene, it was because it's kind of, you know, he was a hot hand at the time. He had a streak of, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, six games in a row where he gave up three goals or less, and he had, you know, a one-goal performance, a shutout, um, and he was kind of, he was performing really well after, you know, a really bad start in the first three or four games. And then Rene had a rough stretch where he was giving up, you know, four, five, four, five, four, six goals. And, and I mean, Rene was also playing at the tougher competition. You look at, you know, Colorado, Chicago, Tampa Bay, Dallas, all teams that have high powered offenses. Um, now that they've kind of leveled out a little bit, I mean, except for the, the, the winter classic game where he gave up four goals. You look at Rene against the Kings, he gave up one goal against the Penguins, he gave up two, um, against the Penguins he gave up three the night before, you know, two, three, three. So we've had, a, except for the the Winter Classic where he gave him four goals, he hasn't given up more than three goals in his last, what, five or six games, and Saros has been kind of giving up more lately. So I think they've kind of flip-flopped roles a little bit where Saros was the hot hand. Now he's kind of allowing more goals. Rene's allowing less goals, and he finally got his goals against average down below three. It's at a 2.98 now. Um Saros is at a 3.25. So Rene's, Rene has kind of become the hot hand again, and I think that just shows, yeah, he is 37. He's a little bit on the older side. You kind of wonder, you know, is, it, is he reaching the point of his career where he's on the decline? But I think Pecorine is good enough, and it, he just has that veteran presence. He's been there before. He's been through slumps like this before where he knows, okay, I've been through this a couple of years ago. This is what I did last time, or, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this right, or I'm not tracking the puck right. He's, he's got more experience, and he, just, he knows what he needs to do to right the ship. Um, You see Saros is 24, he's still young, he hasn't, this is probably the biggest workload through this point in the season that Saros has has been in. Um, This is close to a 50-50 split as the Preds have probably had in in goal, probably maybe in the franchise's history. Rina has played in 25, Saros has played in 21. Um, So you kind of wonder if has made a little bit of an issue, Uh, Saros has never had this big of a workload before. You know, he's used to sitting behind Renee and starting maybe every three or four games and now it's maybe every two to three games. Um, he, he might get up there into the to the 35, 40, 45 uh game range this year and he's never he's never played that much. So you kinda wonder how he's gonna handle that. I think Renee will be fine. Like I said, he's a veteran, he's been there before. I think he'll kinda even out. Um, I think the question mark with the goaltending is how does UC Sparos kinda recover from, you know, this kind of rough catch he's going through. He's never really struggled like this either. He's kind of been you know, the wonder kid, he's come in, he's played really well. He was, you know, a pair parent um, he, he had really good success his first couple of years. And now that he's got an increased workload, you kind of see him look like an average goaltender. And you kind of wonder how he's going to respond to that. So I think it'll, it'll be interesting. I do think Rene will end up getting more starts as the team goes on and they try to make this playoff push just because he's been there before and they and they trust him.
2: So one last quick question for you, Michael. Tomorrow's the press conference. We've already found out who your choice would be for the coach, but who do you think actually is named the head coach for the Nashville Predators tomorrow? You get one guess. Uh, go I, on record right I now.
1: I haven't checked Twitter in the last forty-five minutes, so it was <laughs> refresh. Some of the favorites? I don't know. Um, yeah, let me do that real quick. Twitter. Uh, honestly, if I'm if I'm going with my gut based on what I've heard and what I've seen, I. I <sighs> If I had to guess, if money depended on it, I guess I would probably go with, with Peter DeBoer just because he has the cup experience. You know, He's, he's been a, a solid coach. He's had some good seasons with a couple of different teams. I would probably go with him just because he's kind of the biggest free agent out there outside of Babcock, and I, I do not think they're going with Babcock. But I would, I, I would love to see Carl Taylor get a shot. I think he could do really well with this team. But if gun to my head, I'd probably go with Peter DeBoer.
2: Kyle, Matt, who are your picks if you could pick one coach?
3: Oh, uh, I have no idea on that (laughs) one, so uh, I'm going to leave that one blank for now because – Default to Michael. Yes, exactly. Kyle, you got any educated guesses? I think I was going to go with Michael, Peter DeBoer. All safe. Couldn't pick McCarthy.
0: I would not pick McCarthy if my life depended (laughs) on it.
2: Michael was keen on McCarthy. Don't be hating on McCarthy now. I think everybody was hating on McCarthy. (laughs) Well,
0: Michael, we're going to go ahead and close the interview up here and finish the episode out. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. And um, hopefully you get your answer at the press conference tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely be there. So if you want to find out who it is, uh, make sure you just text Twitter because I'm sure
2: 8,000 people will be tweeting about it. Yeah, I haven't checked Pred's Facebook tonight. So I'm sure that is an absolute dumpster fire right now haven't even gotten
0: on. Well, I don't think we need to go check that, but Michael, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Well guys, we've got a few minutes before we close the showdown. Um, Matt, wasn't there something going on with the world juniors this weekend?
3: Yeah, that's actually the biggest national news besides uh, local news is world juniors just went on and they just wrapped up. Actually, Canada gets a gold medal defeating, uh, Russia in the finals. So uh, pretty interesting headlines actually, throughout the whole tournament, uh, the beginning of the tournament in the prelims, I think it's like the second game. Russia destroys Canada six to zero, handing Canada their worst loss in Team Canada history. But you know, Canada comes back and then faces them in the finals, beating them. I think the score was four to three. And uh, this is pretty interesting. It was crazy. Sweden gets bronze, uh, Finland four. Uh, Switzerland's number five. USA gets sixth place. But uh, one of my favorite is we see Kazakhstan again. Not a country you're used to hearing, but they uh, get 10th place this year. So it's
2: good to see them back in the tournament again. Except they got re- redelegated. Yeah, they got sure. relegated back down to the to the league below them. They were literally the last. So bye bye. Kazakhstan. Yeah. Austria's next year.
3: Uh, yes. But uh, tournament MVP was voted as uh, uh, Alexis uh, Lafrenier from Canada. And, uh, you might know that name Lafreniere because he is projected to be the number one draft pick this year. He was actually injured during the tournament, but came back. Uh, I think it was the semifinals he played against Finland. And of course the final game, he wasn't on the score sheet in the final game, but he played. And, uh, it's nice to see him and get to watch a little bit more of him. You know, we don't get to see so much of the world juniors cause it's not like on the, you know, NHL network, like it is, uh, the other games we get to watch, but he's kind of, uh, a guy I'm watching as hopefully <laughs> Detroit will get to pick <laughs> him number one if they get uh, so fortunate as to get the uh, number one pick draft pick this year.
2: They're trying hard.
3: Yes, they they, <laughs> they are, are definitely trying. They are trying.
2: Where where are they at in the standings? Have you checked recently? Or no, uh, you just probably had, tried. to oh my. Okay, so 43 games played. They are at a whopping 23 points with a minus 73 goal differential. Is that good for last place? Oh, they're they're not even they're oh, they're okay. totally in last place.
0: Dang, that sucks. Well, you know, 25 years of playoff runs will do that to you. Ottawa
2: almost has double the amount of points.
3: Yeah, but on the bright side, you know, at the World Juniors, you also not only was a fantastic finish, it, it always is, but a kid from Sweden gets a Michigan goal again. That's like, what, number three we've seen this year or something? And uh, it's more drama, actually. Uh, Canadian captain Barrett Hayden doesn't remove his helmet for the Russian anthem after that 6-0 oh, trouncing. Yes. And uh, they kind of rip him a new one. And of course, the team releases a statement. Team Canada releases a statement. He's all, oh, I'm sorry. You know, after that loss, I just wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking about the game. And everybody was like, yeah, sure yeah, you were. That was just going to call of a, you on that one. Yeah, that was just, uh, you know, an adolescent kid being a bit of a jerk after a loss. And, uh, but, you know, when you're a kid, I guess you can make mistakes like that and move on and learn. And he certainly did because they came back to show Russell, uh, Russia what's up in the finals. But that was just some more interesting drama with the game. And also, uh, a Canadian kid and a Russian kid both get ejected yeah. for headbutting to get suspended. And those are different games actually. So not something you see uh, going on in the NHL
2: very often is a headbutting. I-, I felt like the tournament was really feisty. Like yeah. there's tons of heavy hits, tons of injuries and lots of action. Unfortunately, we didn't get to watch any of it. And I I would have loved to you know, sit down and stream some of this because it was very exciting this year. Yeah. I, I love juniors. You know, people like to watch the little league
3: baseball and, uh, you know, college football. Anytime you get like the younger ages, things get a little more exciting. It's a little more dramatic. You don't know what's going to happen. And they certainly love ju- world juniors for that reason. It's unfortunate we don't get to watch a lot of it, but that seemed to be the big league news outside of a live So that was interesting. And Additionally, the NHL announces their all-star captains, which are voted for by the fans, and the Atlantic Division's captain is going to be Pasternak, and Metro is Ovechkin, of course. The Central...
2: Who's going to sit.
3: Yes, uh, Ovechkin (laughs) is going to sit, and uh, as well as... Mark uh, Andre Flurry, Flurry, Yes, as well as Fleury. So they're both likely to be suspended a game, but uh, that's not a shock. They did that they don't last care. year. Yeah, they don't care. Uh, the Central gets Nate McKinnon as their captain, and the Pacific, of course, is going with Connor McDavid. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch going forward.
0: And Pred wise, Roman Yossi is the only Preds player who was selected to go to the All Star game. Deservingly
2: so, too, considering I mean, how much he's carried us. Like, this like, year. like we just said. <laughs>
0: Rowan Yossi is
2: the embodiment of the Preds team this yeah. season. I would argue this, though, because I know Matt, was he's still high on Carlson for his hot start. Which person has meant more for their team so far this year? And I'm going to argue Yossi for the Preds because of how bad well, yeah, the I rest agree. of the performance has been. I agree with so.
3: that, but it's it's not like a MVP voting here. But no, no, if I you mean, look uh, at the actual Norris voting, we mentioned it earlier in our interview, uh, Carlson even though the points are close, Yossi has 14 goals, which is one more than Carlson. The points are fairly close, 52 to 44. But the voting is what's miles apart. Carlson garnered 90 votes and Yossi only 53. So while their play might be close and the stats-wise, the, the votes are getting very heavily favored to Carlson, and we kind of talked about how that's due to players being owed it. It's their time, and it might be Carlson's year because he's had it coming, and it, it might not be quite Yossi's turn, so to speak, but you definitely can see a bit of a reflection in that with the voting by these uh, media writers, so pretty interesting to see at least halfway through the season.
2: And I think some of that's that hot start we were talking about where he basically was setting almost NHL records for the first month and a half, scoring like, I, I think it was over, 30 points in the first month and a half, which is crazy considering how much he's tapered off since then. And that's why I'm interested to see the longevity of this race towards the end.
0: Well, I really hope Yossi gets it because me, yeah, Carlson's good, but you know, Yossi's been more consistent than Carlson has been this season.
3: And uh let's carry that on through the rest of the news and the milestones I've got. Uh Vesna wise actually uh Arizona's Darcy Kemper is leading uh, the Vesna voting by far, or so far. Uh, Hellebuck and Bennington are the others, but that's the Vesna so far. And if you look at milestones, kind of carry that to Pecorine. He has actually had his 354th win, which makes him 20th all-time in wins, which is a pretty good deal uh, for Pecorine. Also, Marc-Andre Fleury uh, gets 100 more than that, 454, ties him for Cujo for six all-time. And I've got a couple of stats about Ovechkin. Of course, it's not a proper stat sheet without Ovechkin. He uh, has 400, I'm sorry, <clears throat> he has 346 regular season road goals, which ties Marcel Dion for sixth all time. And he now has a bunch of power play goals, which I'll spare you on the number. He also passes temu Solani for third most power play goals all time.
2: That's crazy. He's and, up there now.
3: Oh, yeah, in, in every category. And we mentioned this guy, Keith Yandel, a couple episodes back when he got all that dental work done in the middle, uh, uh, taking a puck to the face, lost a bunch, bunch of teeth, got some dental work, come back the next game to keep his Ironman streak alive. And that's important because now his 831-game streak grants him the fourth-longest Ironman streak in history. So the massive, tough guy right there, Keith Yandel. I'll end that with him.
2: All
0: right, so Daniel, what games we got coming up before we close down?
2: Well, honestly, the most important one will be tomorrow at home. That is true. Against Boston, and we will patiently await the news conference at 11.45 to find out who the Nashville Predators' future coach will be. So that will be a key moment for us. Uh, Moving forward, we will have an away game at Chicago, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, followed by two home games of Anaheim and Buffalo, on the 16th and the 18th. And that goes to the all-star break, which means we will finally be recording at that time during the all-star break. So guys, thank you so much for listening to the show today.
0: I want to say thank you to Michael Gallagher for taking time on such a short notice to join us and talk some Preds. We will try to have this episode out tomorrow before the Preds announce their new head coach. Until then, this has been music city gold on penalty box radio. We'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and
3: Matt at MattBain31.
0: Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.